If you're visiting for the first time, I didn't really introduce myself. Uh, my name is Pastor Niall Philia. I've been here at Three Lakes for almost two years now. So it's been wonderful uh, being up here in the Northwoods. <clears throat> I was a youth pastor formerly in Watoma, Wisconsin. And being a youth pastor for ten years, you try to think of creative ways to teach teenagers, and what we did, uh, once a month we would do a discussion. We'd pick a hot topic that would relate to teenage matters. We might talk about dating, we might talk about, uh, you know, illegal music downloading, you know, and <laughs> have them discuss it together, and kind of turn them loose, and then, and then towards the end of the discussion say, now, now bring in the Bible on this thing. You know, you kind of tell me what you think, what does God say? So, uh, to get them prepped for talking in a youth group setting, we would play this game called Choose a Side. And so we had the, all the teenagers stand up, and they were like in the middle of the room, and there was like an imaginary line in the center of the room, and then I would give them two choices, choice A, choice B, and they would ch- physically move to the side that they would choose. So um, if it was chocolate or vanilla ice cream, the chocolate lovers would go over here, vanilla would go over here, and then they get a chance to defend their choices. And we'd ask some questions like that and like, um, you know, w- would you rather dress like your parents or act like them? And then you'd see the teenagers split. And then they would talk and say, you see what my dad wears, you know? And it would be, it would be great. It, would, it was so good. And then uh, by the end of it, it would lead into a more serious question. And they'd really have to think about a little more deeply how they would answer. So um, I thought we'd play that just for a couple minutes this morning to get us in the mood to look at Ecclesiastes. So uh, here we go. Let's do this. Um, would, would you rather go, and, and now you have to choose one for the rest of your life. Choose one of these. Boating or snowmobiling. Now I'm not going to make you get up. No, no, sit down. <laughs> sit down. Ten years of it, it just was like instantaneous, right? We'll just do it by the showing of hands. Boating or snowmobiling? Okay, choose one. Boating. Woo! I don't even have to ask. Snowmobiling? All right, all right. We're good, we're good. <laughs> okay, here's, here's, a, here's a real uh, uh, conundrum. Would you rather kick a puppy or make a baby cry? Oh. <sighs> <laughs> All right, you got your answer? Are you ready? You got to pick one. It's what I told the teenagers. You got to pick one. Kick a puppy. Oh, man. <laughs> Make a baby cry? Oh, man. <laughs> All right. All right. You're just like the teenagers. They just start talking and I got to calm them down. Calm down. All right. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. Because I just did this last night as I was preaching through my sermon. I just totally did this. Would you rather, and this is a hard, hard thing here. Would you rather stub your toe or hit your funny bone? (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) <laughs> She's got her answer. Okay, here we go. 
stub the toe. Okay? Hit the funny bone. Wow, man. All right. That's what I would pick too because I stub my toe terrible and I, yep, I hate that. So, okay. Um, should we do one or two more funny ones and then we'll get a couple more serious ones? Two? Wow, man. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Would you rather speak in public or attend your high school reunion? <laughs> okay. Inquiring minds want to know. Speak in public. High school reunion. That was maybe a little more for the reunion. I, I think. I think. Okay. Did I say one more fun one? Okay. Um, all right. Uh, we'll do one for the movie buffs or, or, or book lovers as well because it's a book and a movie. Would you go with Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia? You can only watch one for the rest of your life. Which is it going to be? You got it? You got it? Wait. Yeah, all right, all right. I'm causing conflict in the Hartwig family. <laughs> what are they going to do? What are they going to do? All right, all right. Here we go. Lord of the Rings. Eh, that's not bad. Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, man. And the Hartwig family made it. They were together on that, too. That was good. That was good. All right. Okay. And like all youth groups that I've ever done, eventually you transition to do a few serious ones and the laughter stops. Maybe you'll keep laughing. I don't know. We're in that kind of mood today. But um, seriously, though, attend a wedding, attend a funeral. Yeah, that was a big pendulum swing there, wasn't it? From happy, happy, fun to man. Okay, you got it? I wouldn't have it that fast, but we'll see what you say. Attend a wedding. Attend a funeral. Okay, okay. And last but not least, would you rather have a good cry? A good cry. Or would you rather have a good laugh? Right? Got your answer? A good cry. Yeah, Bob Werner, look at that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That was wrong. A good laugh? A good laugh. All right. All right. Well, Bob Werner, you're going to be proven right today because Solomon's going to tackle this very topic. Two of those at the end that I mentioned, he is going to address in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Would you turn there? Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, if you hit Psalms kind of towards the middle of your Bible, you go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We're in a series this summer called The Meaning of Life, and we are looking at uh, King Solomon's wisdom on what meaning can you find in life apart from God. And as you know, if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, over and over and over again he says it's meaningless without God. Whatever you try to substitute as the thing that will make you happy, meaningless without God. God brings meaning to life. 
Putting your faith in Him brings meaning to life. Living, following Jesus brings meaning to life. Okay? Now, in chapter 7, what Solomon's going to do is what we just did. Long before youth pastors were doing, would you rather do this or that, choose a side. Long before us, Solomon said, what's better? And he, he started to contrast two different things. You have notes in your bulletins. I invite you to pull those out, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Um, I, in this passage, in chapter 7, Solomon addresses seven. Seven comparisons. Seven would-you-rathers. And I want to look at all seven of them. Some of them are joined together, so I'll look at a couple of them together as a pair. And then we'll make a conclusion about why is difficulty sometimes desirable? Why would it be desirable to endure difficult things instead of just fun, pleasurable things in life? A lot of you are here in Three Lakes this weekend because you want to enjoy life. Nothing wrong with that at all. But then why is difficulty sometimes better? Here goes Solomon. Chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Let's walk through this now. A good name is greater than fine perfume. Perfume is what you might put on if you were going to go to a party. He'll talk about feasting in a minute, so I think, I think that's the image he has in his mind. Put on the perfume, cover up whatever smells you brought in from the day, and go to the party, have fun with your friends. That's a good time. A good name, though, is your character. There are some things you will never name your kids because that name brings up the school bully. You know, if Billy was a bully, you're probably not going to name your kid Billy. If Billy was your best friend, you might name your kid that. Because it brings a connotation to your mind. A name is like character. Do we have any Judases in the, in the church today? If we did, it would be okay. Because your name can stand on its own. But there's a reason most people don't name their kid that. I've never met one. But I would, I would imagine if I did meet one, if it's a person of character, that could, that could even change my mind. A good name is better than fine perfume. Perfume covers your smells, but a name goes to your soul, who you are. But then he connects that with the next sentence, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Now you say, how can the day I'm laying on my deathbed, and I've watched... I've been at the bedside when people are close to death and I've seen how is the day of death better than the day of birth? Today is Christie's birthday. You should wish her that at some point. Oh, some clapping. Yes, that's right. That's right. Christie's birthday. 29 years old again. So, I'm telling you, amazing. She never ages. Um, and why would her last day on earth be better than the day she was born? We're going to celebrate her, right? Cake, 
food. Took her out for pizza last night. We celebrate. How can that be? How can that be? Consider that on the day you die, you're leaving behind a legacy. Christy will leave behind a legacy. She'll have raised her children. She'll have done God's work in the church. She's lived her life. And there's something to show for that. Now put the two together. Death day is greater than birthday, and the name is better than perfume. And consider this. I think this is the implication. If you're taking notes, this would be the implication section in your notes. Our life will receive its final evaluation in death. Right? That's kind of what Hebrews says. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You die, then you get judged. But the final evaluation of your life has not come in yet. Your name is not set in stone now. And so I remember meeting uh, Christie's grandfather who has since passed on and gone to be with Jesus. And I knew him to be a humble man, a man of few words, and a man who loves serving the church. He'd be the last guy. If he was a church event or a potluck, he'd be the last guy in the kitchen every single time when everybody else had gone. And then sometimes I would hear stories about, not often, but sometimes I'd hear stories about his life before Christ. I was like, you can't be talking about the same guy. There's no way. But it was the same guy, but now transformed by Christ, by giving his life to Jesus. So for those of you that come in here and you have the reputation for being fairly rebellious against God, your story's not over yet. You're not dead yet. And today, if you hear him knocking, you can open the door of your heart. And that will change your name forever. Why? Because now your name is written in his book, the book of life. And that changes everything. So anyone that says, I'm way too far gone, and I'm known to be a troublemaker, I'm known for my rebellion. No, not yet you're not. On the day you die, it'll be set. Because after that comes the judgment. But until then, the evaluation is on hold. So if I put those two things together, your name is fairly set on the day that you die. And yet Jesus knocks on your door today. Will you let him in? And if you've, been, if you've been a Christian forever but not really following strongly, he's knocking on your door. He's tired of the lukewarmness. He's knocking. What legacy will you leave behind? All right. Let's keep reading. There's more wisdom here for us to look at. Verse 2, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Now he does a couple here that let's take note of. He says, mourning is greater than feasting 
and grief is better than laughter. We kind of did that already here, you know. A good cry being better than a good laugh. Solomon says, oh yeah, oh yeah. Why? What's the implication here? Why is it better to mourn than to feast? Feasting's good. Like a few weeks ago we looked at enjoying life. Did a whole sermon on that. You're welcome to look at that online and, and think about how to enjoy life correctly. But here he says, if you're talking about what is beneficial to you, mourning can be much more beneficial because it teaches you that your days are limited. And pleasure does something to our hearts that is very deceitful. Here's the implication, I believe. Life's pleasures can distract us from living wisely. Mourning's better than laughing. Grief better than feasting. Or, or, or in that in that comparison range. Sometimes we get so focused on the fun we have in life that we miss out on what God has called us to do. Right? If life is all about my enjoyment, if life is all about the lake, if life is all about getting together with family and friends, and I, and I know all those things are good. I enjoy them. I love them. It's great. But if my life is characterized by those moments, if that's what life is about, then I've been deceived by the pleasures of life. The good pleasures of life. I've been deceived. Because Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And boating doesn't look like a cross, unless your motor goes out. That might look like a cross. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <clears throat> but... A cross-centered life is not easy. But Jesus says, follow me. And every one of you that wants to be a Christian and call yourself by that, you've got to follow me and pick up the cross and go. <clears throat> life is not about fun. Life is about following. Following Jesus. And there are times of rest and enjoyment and relaxation that he brings. And there are times of hard work and difficult things that you're doing in his name when people just don't seem to get it. You know, your, your, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers don't get why you're living this way and why you're talking about Jesus, and yet you just keep going and you're going to keep proclaiming it. It's not easy. Following Jesus could lead you into the mission field where it's even harder to live as a Christian. But Jesus will take you places that are difficult. Don't let the fun of life distract you from what you're here to accomplish in Jesus' name. I think that's the point. <clears throat> Jesus talked like this, right? Uh, Luke chapter 12, he talked about the rich man who, uh, who had this big crop, and he's like, I've got so much money, I'm just going to build a bigger barn for all my stuff and then take it easy the rest of my life. That's Luke 12. Eat, drink, and be merry. I've got enough. And that night God said, your life is required of you tonight, you fool. Now who's going to get all your stuff? Wouldn't it be better to look at my wealth, we talked about wealth last week, as if I have more than I need, God has given me more than I need because there's other people that don't have their basic needs. But the pleasures can distract us from that. All right, let's move on. Uh, we have more wisdom to cover. Would you look at verse 5 and 6? This is a great one. You all love this. I know you would have picked this. Man, here we go. <clears throat> it's better to heed a wise man's rebuke 
than listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This, too, is meaningless. It's hebel. No point. I was called once, and the person on the other end of the line said, Niall, you said you would do this, but you didn't do it. And I'm not okay with that. And I immediately got defensive because this person, I felt like we had our differences in the past, and I was like, oh, here they go again. Here they go again. And so I got defensive, and I justified myself, and we talked about that for a while, how I was really right. And then at some point, the Spirit breaks through your stubbornness and pride and arrogance and says, no, actually, Niall, the simple fact is you said you would do that. You didn't do it, which makes you a liar, which means you need to repent. Oh, that was easy, you know. But I didn't want to repent to this person. I didn't want to repent to this person. I could repent to a wise man that I respect a lot, but not this person. But I had to. And I did. Nobody likes to be rebuked, I don't think. I hate it. I don't enjoy it at all. But even though I don't like it, I also know that those are words of life that are being shared with a sinner that needs to hear words of life. I need to follow God better than what I am. And so I have to listen to it and do something about it and heed those wise words. It's hard, though. I mean, I'm just telling you. You know if you've heard them, it's hard to take correction. And he says those rebukes, those hard words, the implication then is, uh, okay, if, if the rebuke is better than a fool's song, if it's better than the laughing, he, he has a picture of laughing as like the crackling of thorns under a fire, you know? Thorns burn bright and hot and, and fast, and they're gone, and they make a loud noise, but they're gone really quick. They're just gone. Implication. Hard words make us wiser. Silly songs and laughter do not. Unless they're silly songs with Larry, then they make you wiser. But, amen? Did I hear some amens? There we go. Um, Hard words make us wiser. Silly songs and laughter do not. I looked at the top 100 on iTunes this week and see what people are downloading. Not a lot of wisdom on there. Right? Not a lot of wisdom coming out of our famous musicians today. You've all heard the song, I Am Sure, by Pharrell. Happy. Have you heard this song, Happy? I'm not going to play it this morning. That put us over the top. I mean, we've got to keep moving here. But the lyrics. Can we get the lyrics up here? Oh, man. I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. I'd feel wet, but okay, let's go with it. Um, I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. And you know what? In some ways, I'm like, I get it. Happiness is the truth. But what will make you most happy? Stuff or knowing your Savior? If my highest joy is found in Jesus, and Jesus is the truth, then I've found the source of happiness. Next lyric in happy, the chorus. I'm happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Do you see the choice offered in that really silly song, you know? 
that people are playing all the time today? Talent show I heard it a few times, you know. I'm not saying it's an evil song, by the way. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. It's catchy. Do you know what happiness is to you? Have you defined happiness as knowing Jesus and following Jesus? I've told you this so that my words might be in you and your joy might be complete, right? All right. That's on the top iTunes, but it won't make you truly happy. And I also think the, I think the, the, the laughing, like the thorns thing, you know, the thorns that are crackling as a fire, I think that's also referring to how foolish it is that when a wise person rebukes you, some of you would laugh. Laugh it off. I'm not hearing that. And that is a very foolish thing to do when a wise person gives a rebuke. You ought to listen and not laugh it off. All right. Uh, we're heading towards the end. All right. Here we go. Now that you've got a song playing in your head right now, I'm sure. I can't ever get that thing out of my head when I hear it. All right. We're looking at 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. Here we go. Um, extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. I think the idea there is, if you say you're a wise person, but you're taking bribes and, and extorting people, all your words kind of like empty, you know? Like you say this, but you do this. And it's kind of like you're not, you're not living what you're saying. You may have wisdom, but you're not living it. Verse 8. The end of the matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Now, if I would have asked you that, patience or pride, you choose one, I know 100% would choose patience, right? We'd all choose patience. How does that connect with what comes before, though? The end is better than the beginning. Patience is better than pride. How are those two things linked? Consider. I love weddings. I love doing weddings. They're so much fun. And on that day of your wedding, you will take a vow. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Till death do us part. And I'm not trying to step on toes here. All I know is, for some of us, those are just a lot of words. And then for others, the end is greater than the beginning. I mean, the beginning, we all get together and we all listen to the words and the bride wears white and we celebrate and we spend thousands of dollars celebrating it. I'm not saying that's bad. I, I love weddings. But when do we have that level of celebration for the couple that's been married 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. Like our Elsons, right? When do we throw the party for them? They wouldn't, I'm sure they wouldn't want a party. But, I'm, but you get my point. We make a huge deal about the beginning. But it's the ending that leads the legacy. It's the ending that's powerful. It's the, I've been married to you 70 years and I've not broken my vows. When we have others that said it just didn't work out, I just fell out of love. And so you forgot about the fact that it was till death do you part? You said that. God heard you say it. I'm not trying to squash anybody, you know, but it's a time to search your hearts. The end is greater than the beginning because the end, the implication is the end shows perseverance and patience 
You made it. By God's grace, you made it. And look, if, if you feel like I stepped on your toes, God forgives. If, if you don't have biblical reasons to get the divorce that you got, you can still repent today, all right? I still accept you as a brother and sister. I'm not... There's love and forgiveness here. But some of you I know are sitting in this room contemplating divorce because you just can't stand that person anymore. It's not a matter of adultery or other things like of that nature. It's just you can't stand them. The end is greater than the beginning. Think of it like this. If you enter yourself in a marathon, at the end of it, that's a cause for celebration. I don't want to see you wearing a t-shirt that says, I made it to mile five of the marathon. Who cares? Who cares? Seriously. If you say, I made it to mile 25.1, I'm going to say, why didn't you... <laughs> Unless you collapsed. I mean, I get that part. You know, that could, that's, a real, that's a real thing. I, I would have lots of sympathy right there. Wear the t-shirt, you fell down, you know. I get it. But if you said, I just stopped, I'd be like, what are you doing? You know, you're almost there. Don't give up now. But let's admit that it's our pride that often gets us in trouble. We want things our way. If that spouse doesn't behave the way we want them to, we'll show them. And pride leads us down this independent road, independent of God independent of what's best for us. We become our own kings. And God says, if you would just have had patience, I would have helped you through this. If you just would have trusted me, you could have reached the finish line. We're very good at celebrating the beginning. But Solomon says there's something amazing about the end. Let's uh, reach our conclusion here. Okay, verses 11 through 14. Wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing, and it benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. Because I'm happy. Okay, okay. Um, when times are good, be happy. There's a good word. A lot of you are happy this weekend. You're joining with family and friends and celebrating. But when times are bad, consider. Consider. God has made the one, the good days, as well as the other, the bad days. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. You don't know what your future will hold. You don't know if you have more good days or bad days coming up. You have no idea because God is in charge. He sits on the throne. And, and you might have some evil things done to you. God didn't do those evil things. But God knows you're going to go through some hard things and some good things. And when the hard days come, He says this, Consider. Consider. Wisdom is an inheritance. So let's conclude like this. Difficulty is desirable when you get wisdom from it. Is that a good summary of everything we've just said? 
Difficulty is desirable. Marriage can be hard. But it's desirable because God is forming me into the man I'm trying to, I need to be. He's forming my wife, who has to be married to me, into the woman she needs to be. And he's using marriage to do that. He's using our kids to do that. It's desirable to go through difficulty if you get wise from it. Not, not Dr. Phil wisdom, okay? Not Oprah Winfrey wisdom, but biblical wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that kind of wisdom. You want to know what wisdom is? And we're going to conclude with this idea. Wisdom. Matthew 7.24 says this. Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus says, if you hear my words and put them into practice, you're the wise man. Can we summarize that then? Simply put, wisdom is knowing and doing the word of God. It's simple. It's simple. I know what the word says and I'm doing it. I am a wise man if I do that. I'm a foolish man if I do not. If I am ignorant of what God has said in his word, I'm going to be foolish. If I know what he says and then don't, I don't do it, I'm going to be foolish. There's your definition of wisdom right there from Jesus' mouth. In my time remaining, our services go till 10.15. In my time remaining, um, I met a wonderful guy on July 4th, um, and I asked him if he would share his testimony with you. Um, I met a man named Barry Miller. Barry, would you come up? And uh, Barry told me his story at my house on Friday, and I heard him talk about difficult times, and I heard him give glory to God in a powerful way. And I thought, this is the conclusion of this message right here. Uh, Barry is Elizabeth Baltus' boyfriend. If you know Elizabeth. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. That's right. So, I'm going to turn it over to you, and then when you're done, I'll close this off. Okay, thank you. Share. 